0: Unhealthy sense of self is not flexible. It's fixed. Want to control everything. Makes a lot of stress, a lot of pain, a lot of worry. Easy to hurt, easy to cry, easy to burn, easy to disappear. So unhealthy sense of self is the ego selfish. Healthy sense of self is more like connecting, interconnected, like compassion, and impermanent, the wisdom. So once you're connected with a healthy sense of self, you cannot survive without others. You and others is interdependent.
1: Welcome to Mind and Life. I'm Wendy Hasenkamp. Today I'm speaking with Tibetan Buddhist teacher Mingyur Rinpoche. Rinpoche is the son of Tolku Ergen Rinpoche, who was one of the most renowned meditation teachers within the Dzogchen tradition. So Mingyur Rinpoche grew up studying and practicing meditation from a very early age. He's been teaching Buddhism and meditation to Western audiences for many years, and he's also been a major contributor to the early scientific research on meditation, working with Richie Davidson and John Donne, among others. Rinpoche and I cover a lot of topics in this conversation, broadly looking at how contemplative practice can lead us to awareness, compassion, and wisdom. He first describes his involvement in early contemplative research, and we get into some of the challenges in translating concepts between Buddhism and science. Rinpoche then delivers some pretty powerful teachings. We talk about what Buddhists mean by the term emptiness, moving beyond concepts through meditation, and experiencing a kind of foundational open awareness. He also describes the three types of self And which one is like shaving foam? That'll make sense when you listen. And how these views of self relate to the way that we view others. Importantly, Rinpoche then goes into some of his own experiences with panic attacks when he was younger. And describes how he learned through meditation to make friends with difficult emotions instead of pushing them away. And how healing that's been for him. And we end with some reflections on his experience during what's called a wandering retreat. This is a style of contemplative retreat where you live often for years with no home and no money, surviving on the generosity of strangers. And relatedly, we get into discussing the role of trust in transformation and contemplative practice. I'm so happy to be able to share this episode with you now, especially as Rinpoche will be joining us again soon at Mind and Life's upcoming online summit, The Science and Wisdom of Emotions. In our conversation for the podcast, as you'll hear, he reflects on the impact of one of the earliest Mind and Life dialogues with the Dalai Lama, which Rinpoche attended when he was 19 years old. The topic of that meeting was destructive emotions, and it led to a book by the same name, written by Dan Goleman, which continues to be very popular today. That meeting took place in 2001, And in a number of ways, it was a real catalyst for the beginnings of the whole field of contemplative science. So this year, we're revisiting that meeting and exploring its impact, bringing together over 30 experts across various disciplines, along with the Dalai Lama, to dig into the latest scientific insights, share practices for cultivating emotional well-being and emotional intelligence, and to see how developing a wisdom around emotions can contribute to our collective well being. The summit is a free online event taking place from May 2nd to the 5th, and it's shaping up to be a really amazing gathering. I hope you can join us. You can find more information and register at scienceandwisdomofemotions.com. Mingy Rinpoche has a real gift for making some very complex philosophical topics accessible through story and metaphor. But don't be fooled by his lighthearted delivery. These are some really deep teachings. So I hope you benefit from and enjoy this conversation. And as always, there's lots more in the show notes in addition to a full transcript, which I recommend checking out. And with that, it's my great pleasure to share with you Mingya Rinpoche. I am joined today by Mingya Rinpoche. Uh, Rinpoche, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us.
0: You're most welcome. Very happy to be here.
1: You have played a, a major role in some of the early experiments and research um, between Buddhism and science. Um, can you share some of your own interest in science and also you know how that has um, interacted with your training in Buddhism and you becoming a Buddhist teacher?
0: Yeah, so in Buddhism, everything, you can take it as if you understand, you can get some experience, but you don't need to take it as because of Buddha says so. So there's some kind of like uh, what we call analytical meditation, which is really try to understand the nature of reality, who you are, about the world. So for science, it's almost like um, a thought experiment.
1: Mm.
0: So kind of like um, analytical meditation is you try to do experiment with a different aspect. And of course, we have different type of meditation, what we call resting meditation. And the resting meditation is based on experience. So when you practice like that, you will get some experience like that, then you can go to the next level. It's kind of like science also. So we have this tradition. And then when I was young, I was learning meditation from my father. I, first time I learned meditation when I was nine years old. Mm. The reason is I had panic attacks. Huh. So when I was young, yep, I was not happy. Wow. And my mother suggested me to learn meditation from my father. But I was shy and I didn't ask my father. My mother asked on behalf of me oh, wow. to my father. <laughs> my father is a great meditation teacher, mm-hmm. so I learned meditation from him. Then while I'm there learning meditation with him, many people come all over the world, come to learn meditation from my father. So there's uh, sometimes great scientists also come. Like one of them is Francesco Varela. He came there and received teaching and I heard of that. He's a great scientist.
1: So did you know him?
0: Yes, yeah. I met him there. Yeah. And normally I have kind of like interest about science, special cosmology, you know, the stars, mm. how far it is and the, the relationship between all this. And I have a little bit interest about the, mm, quantum physics. And I asked him this uh, about the cosmology. Of course, he knows a lot and he told me a little bit. Then also, he told me about the brain
1: uh-huh.
0: how the brain was and how the perception a little bit. And I was fascinated, you know.
1: Amazing.
0: Yeah, for me, it's amazing. For me, it's kind of like what I'm learning from the meditation aspect and what the scientists are saying is kind of like becoming one, but it's a different aspect, yeah. a different perspective. Yeah.
1: That's so interesting. So, uh, how old were you when you met Francisco Varela? I think 10, when I was okay. 10 years old, yeah. And then did you continue to have any interactions with him?
0: Yeah, time to time I have some conversation with him. Yeah. And then I went to a three year retreat. So then after that, I finished my three year retreat. He came to Nepal again and we have further some discussion.
1: Uh, Francisco Varela, obviously one of the co founders of the Mind and Life Institute, so very influential for our work. Um, were you involved in any of the early dialogues between the Dalai Lama and other scientists like like Varela?
0: Yes. So then after I finished my retreat, um, two years later, I was 19 years old. Mm-hmm. There's a mind and life meeting. Mm-hmm. So then they all recommend to join to the mind and life meetings. The topic of that meeting was... Um, about the emotion, destructive emotion.
1: Ah, oh, destructive emotions, yeah.
0: Yes, so that time I was 19 years old, so uh-huh. I joined that meeting. And Dalai Lama you know, talk about how to join mm-hmm. these two tradition, like ancient meditative tradition and the modern science together, and to help to the society, and we can offer from each aspect. Because what I learned from science is a lot of discovery. Mm-hmm. But I'm from Buddhist, uh, perspective there's a lot of inner work yeah how to apply to your life and to your experience so the lama said, if you can join these two together it will be a lot of benefit
1: yeah so and then is that how you came to know uh richie davidson
0: yes i met richie davidson in that in, in that meeting
1: oh okay so it's funny if you google Buddhism and science. Uh, your picture is one of the first ones that comes up, a very famous picture of you with all the electrodes on your head. Oh, was,
0: EEG, I right, Yeah, right, the
1: right. old EEG study that you were involved in. Is that from Richie's lab from a long time ago?
0: Yes, yes. That was 2002, I think.
1: Do you remember what that study was about or your experience doing it? Was that the first time you'd engaged with scientists?
0: Yes, so first time I went to the laboratory.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And I become guinea pig, you know?
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, what was your experience like?
0: Yeah, I went to uh, Madison, Wisconsin. So the first day I went to the machine, there's a MRI machine, so very big. Yes. And the room is very cold. Temperature has to be cold. Yeah. And then the machine looked like white coffin you know yeah (laughs)
1: yeah and you go slide inside
0: (laughs) and then lying down i cannot move my head right if i move my head a little bit then image becomes fuzzy so they tied my head and everything and i pretend like i'm like crops you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's like a death meditation
0: (laughs) so then the i go inside that the machine look like i'm going in the tunnel (laughs) dark tunnel Then I have to stay there about three hours.
1: Oh my gosh, three hours.
0: And the meditation is about the one is concentration, one object. Mm -hmm. And one is the compassion, loving kindness and compassion. Another is the open present, meaning your mind just be present. You are not particularly focused on anything, but you are Mm -hmm. not lost. A sense of openness, sense of presence, sense of just being. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And then visualization like image something. So a few different meditation techniques. Yeah. The scientists are in the next room, you know, having coffee and hamburger and- <laughs>
1: <laughs> Having a great time while you're laying Your in the coffin.
0: <laughs> they are very nice, of course, kind, and really they told me what's going on, what is this purpose. They are really nice. I'm very happy. And they're giving the instruction through the microphone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We have four minutes, <laughs> concentrate on the dot. Right. Now stop concentration. Yeah. Concentrate again. <laughs> Stop concentration. And compassion. Compassion, four minutes. Stop compassion. Compassion again. Not compassion.
1: <laughs> How was that? Was it very difficult to switch on and off? Because that doesn't seem like a normal way of doing a meditation. Yeah.
0: No, normally nobody asks me, don't practice compassion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Right.
0: Sometimes it's confused.
1: Well, yeah. You were one of the first... Um, you know, expert meditators to become involved in science. Those were the very early days when this kind of thing was, you know, not not well accepted at all in uh, in neuroscience or traditional science.
0: Yes. That time, this research is very new. And then everybody don't know what the direction will be and how to do this test with the meditators and also to a different world. So to communicate to a different world is quite, quite difficult. Yeah. But uh, one thing is, um, what they found is from the naked eyes, the, the, when the long-term meditator meditate, there's a big change that comes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The gamma, synchronize, gamma synchronization.
1: Yeah, gamma synchronization. Yeah, that was one of the early findings. It comes from the EEG recordings from uh, when you have the electrodes on your head. Right. That's when measuring those right. gamma waves. Yeah, and that was some of the early findings that, you know, advanced meditators had a, a very unusually high level of synchronization. Right. And then have you continued to be involved in research studies?
0: Yes, I've been joined the Mind and Life in the different places in America, in Europe. I also have a lot of discussion with the scientists like Richard Davison, Anton Bluth about the, how to do research. What meditation technique is easy to the research or something like that, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. I was going to ask, in all of those conversations, it, it, it's been so helpful for scientists to engage with Buddhist you know, experts and practitioners like yourself. What are some of the challenges that you all have discussed in terms of bringing those worlds together like you were talking about?
0: I think the most, um, one of the most challenges from the Buddhist perspective, when we go in deeper level, go beyond concept. Mm-hmm. So... When we go beyond concept, then the measurement, all these are not really kind of like doesn't work very well, because every concept has to put into the box. So right. more deeper level of the view and the meditation or beyond concept, that's the, become very fast. Yeah.
1: Can you say more about that? I know that um, you are a teacher and your father was a teacher within the Zogchen tradition, which is often about this moving beyond a conceptual mind. Um, I think many of our listeners, you know, that might be a little unfamiliar. It's, it's of course, always hard to talk about since words are concepts.
0: Yes, yes. So the beyond concept is um, what we call non-meditation is the best meditation. Hmm. So basically, the meditation is um, so just be present and to recognize the, your fundamental nature within yourself. So what we call the awareness. So... To connect with the awareness, our normal habit is we have this goal and we have the strategy and we have a lot of structure how to achieve that goal, very clear. But then when we go into the non-conceptual meditation, we let go of this. Mm-hmm. The only thing is what we call, don't get lost. Mm-hmm. You, you are not lost, you are not become a zombie, you, are not become, you, you will not lost the presence. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, even you're not meditating. So totally be in the natural state of your mind. So once you be that, then your mind becomes more and more, opens up. Actually, your mind becomes non-judgmental, spacious, creative, more openness, more brave in a way, more confident.
1: And how does this relate to the concept of emptiness that is so often discussed in Buddhism?
0: Yeah, so this is a more experiential practice. Emptiness, you can begin by analyzing. So for example, you can look at the quantum physics. When you really look at the atom, atom is not just single, not permanent. Atom has a lot of pieces. And these are all are changing all the time. Mm -hmm. Then in the end, when you really look in the end, you lose meaning. meaning. That is the meaning of what we call empty. So what we call empty and nest, there's two things.
1: Mm.
0: Empty meaning it doesn't inherently exist. Nest meaning not nothing. Mm. Everything can appear. So possibility. So these two are one. Though it's not exist yet, lot of possibility, potential can manifest. These two together. In neuroscience, we talk about the perception. So, what we perceive mostly is in our mind,
1: mm-hmm. created by the mind.
0: Yeah, created by mind. It's not really exist out there, but at the same time, it's not nothing. You are experiencing that. You can still perceive that. So, the emptiness meaning this to a union. What we call fire and heat,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the uh, water and moisture. So. The emptiness meditation, then you apply this in the meditation. So then you look at the sense of me. So normally sense of me is so strong, so dry, so sensitive, black and white. Easy to cry, easy to disappear. Mm -hmm. And it is very small, tiny and narrow. A lot of things that what we believe is the false belief, not real. Me, something like that. Me has to be number one. Me have to achieve this. So much tightness. So when you look at that, the sense of me, what you see is slowly, slowly more flexible. Actually, not like Adam in the beginning. We think Adam single one, mm-hmm. but it's a more subatomic particle, right? Mm. Me has more subcomponent. Maybe your experience. Maybe your status. Mm-hmm. Maybe your education, maybe your belief, maybe your body, your mind, so many components. And they are interdependent, and they are changing. And then in the end, you cannot really grab it. Yet, you can have me. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And that me can be anything. So me at the office can be different than me at your home. Me at the home, can be different than me with your friends. So, flexibility.
1: You've spoken about three kinds of self. Can you discuss those?
0: Yeah, yeah. Normally what we call unhealthy sense of self, Healthy sense of self and the luminous self. Unhealthy sense of self is no flexible. No flexibility. It's fixed. What we call permanent, narrow, mm-hmm. independent, want to control everything. So combine this together, that's the makes a lot of stress, a lot of mm-hmm. pain, a lot of worry, no flexibility. But when we look at that one through the view of emptiness, view of meditation, the awareness, just, just aware. Just seeing that is wisdom. Hmm. Normally I give example. I had a panic when I was young. So when I not look at the panic, panic look like piece of rock, you know?
1: Mm.
0: Solid. Solid. When I look at the panic, panic become like shaving foam. Panic has so many different, uh, pieces, there's image, there's automatic voice, mm-hmm. there's a body sensation, temperature, there's a belief. All this combined together is a panic. If you take out image, no panic. If you take out sensation, no panic. Mm-hmm. If you take out the belief, no panic. So similarly, me is like that. So strong. Piece of rock. But when you look at it, it's like shaving foam. So when you see that, you become more Relief, open. So that is what we call healthy sense of self.
1: Yeah. The more open. More open. Yeah.
0: Not the single me, but independent me. Mm. Me is changing. Then when you look at the more, 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 in the end, you cannot find it yet. There's such freedom, openness. So that's the luminous self. So unhealthy sense of self is the ego, kind of like selfish. Healthy sense of self is more like connecting, Mm -hmm. interconnected, like compassion and impermanent, the wisdom. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: what we've got healthy sense of self is awareness, compassion, wisdom, self. And the luminous self is the beyond conceptual self.
1: Yeah. We also often hear in Buddhism that the, the sense of self is an illusion. So which of those selves is an illusion?
0: the unhealthy sense of self. It's just illusion. You see as like rock, mm-hmm. but actually it's not rock. It's shaping form. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, and that, that kind of um, understanding and awareness can be achieved through analytical meditation as you were discussing?
0: Yeah, analytical meditation, first you have to analyze, then you need to rest. Analyzing, analyze too much, tired, confused. Mm-hmm. It will not get the experience. To get experience, you need to rest after the analyze. So the resting meditation, we start, begin with the watching the breath. You know, breathing in, breathing out. You don't need to analyze the breath is impermanent or not impermanent or emptiness, not empty. Don't care. Just knowing the breath. Breathing in. Oh, now I know. It's breathing out.
1: Oh, now I know.
0: It's breathing in. Just simple. So that is the resting.
1: Like a concentration meditation.
0: Yeah, concentration. No, is very strong.
1: Not too tight, yeah.
0: Not too tight. If you're too tight, then you will have more thought. So normally what we call no pizza, you will think more pizza. <laughs> right. <laughs> so then you, you can mix that with the analyzing, or then look at the sense of me, with the same as watching your breath. Now you look at the me.
1: Hmm.
0: Then you see things clear, clear, clear.
1: And then, how do these senses of self influence our perception of of others?
0: Yeah. So of course, self is really mysterious. Normally, it comes only just believe.
1: Mm.
0: When you look at, cannot really find it. But when you don't look at, you can feel it very strong. So then. When there's self, of course, there's other, other and self's interdependent, then other people, what you look at you, it depends on how you hold your own self, right? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: If you connect more healthy sense of self, then other people look at you, you're more kind, more flexible, more soft, more open, more wise sometimes. But if you fix with unhealthy sense of self, oh, I don't want to be with that close to that (laughs) (laughs) friend.
1: Right. (laughs) yeah it's again this kind of interdependence it sounds yes. like right between the self and other and so how you are perceiving yourself will then impact
0: yes it changed. it changed so like if you believe in the healthy sense of self like self with the awareness compassion and wisdom you meet nice people people hmm. nice to you and the relationship become better
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then you believe more about them. oh these things works. There's a lot of nice people. Maybe one or two not nice people, but eventually you have more nice people. So it's kind of good for you, good for others. Win-win situation, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so thinking about then moving kind of into a larger scale, like beyond an individual impact, um, what do you think about the role of shifting our sense of self in problems we see in the world today like racism or tribalism where people feel like their group is the best
0: yeah i think this is really important to connect with a healthy sense of self so once you're connected with healthy sense of self, you cannot survive without others mm. you and others is interdependent the other is part of you mm. so then there's the awareness then there is a the wisdom. So those are connected with the healthy sense of self. Unhealthy sense of self says you have to be the first. What about me? But if you listen to that, deeper level, you will not feel really happy. You feel something is missing. You will never be satisfied, no matter how much you feel like you feel like you achieve. But if you follow the healthy sense of self, like you can do social work, you really feel happy deeper level. But the, for the unhealthy sense of self, that is the breaking the law of unhealthy sense of self, right? You break my law. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what do you mean the law of the unhealthy sense of
0: self? You important, others yeah. not important. Yeah, That's the unhealthy sense of self says. That's the rule.
1: Yeah. What
0: about me? Me first, me first. But if you follow that, you will not happy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But if you help others, you feel really happy. So helping others, also helping to you because you and others are interdependent. So win-win situation. Then also the wisdom. So if you learn more about the reality, if you know more about the truth of the reality, you feel happy, deeper level, and awareness also. Mm-hmm. Just watching breath feels happy, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: because you're connecting with the healthy sense of self. So these three, the compassion, wisdom and awareness is a relative healthy sense of self. So I think it's important that everybody try to connect with that one. And then also important that focus to transform yourself first. If you transform, then there's automatically nice influence comes. Maybe you can help two or three people transform. They can help other two or three people transform. Then the world become better place. Uh, When we look at the, in the history, a lot of problems comes because someone want to change the world right
1: mm-hmm.
0: if someone want to change the world but they don't want to change themselves then and a war war in the world
1: mentioned uh, a couple of times your own experience with panic when you were younger how has your path with meditation um, has it helped and what's been your experience in dealing with those difficult emotions
0: yeah I had a panic when I was uh, seven eight years old I think I had panic when I was seven but I didn't recognize much but then when I was eight years old very strongly I felt this fear I cannot go out and Special, I have fear for strangers. And in my hometown, I was born in Nepal in the Himalaya mountain. We have a lot of winter snowstorm, summer, the thunderstorm. So fear is very, very strong. So I was looking for a lot of solutions. Sometimes I go top of the mountain, but panic follow me up there. I go deep into the valley. We have the river with the thick forest. Go into the valley and panic follow me down there. So then I learned meditation when I was nine years old. So I feel good. I learned this from my father, but I'm lazy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of meditation, but I don't like the practice of meditation. When I <laughs> meditate about, I thought maybe I already meditate 20, 30 minutes, but actually it's only 10 minutes. You know? <laughs> yeah. But then when I meditate, it's good. I feel better. So when I feel better, then I forget meditation. Then panic comes again. Uh-huh. And then I meditate. Hello, panic. You, get out. I'm <laughs> meditating. So then I shared this with my father. My father said, don't fight with the panic. Mm. You have to welcome panic. So if you fight panic, panic becomes bigger. Mm. That's true. For me, Like fear of panic is worse than panic. Mm. Panic of panic is stronger than panic. So then my father said, welcome. So then I begin to welcome to my panic. Hello, panic, welcome, you know. Much better. Ah, But my main motivation is, if I welcome to panic, then panic will not come back again, you know.
1: So still the motivation is to get rid of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, to still want to get rid of it. Over. But even though it's not perfectly welcoming, but begin to welcome it, it helps. Mm. Even though it's not really true, it's faking, but it helps. Then when I was 13 years old, I was in India, uh, near Dharamsala, Mm -hmm. the Shirabling Monastery in India, near Dharamsala. They will start a traditional three-year retreat.
1: Three-year retreat. Going to start. Yeah.
0: I thought I should go to this retreat because I'm lazy. So if I go to retreat, good for my lazy. (laughs) Then good for my panic. Mm. So I push, you know, ask everybody to have this permission then.
1: Because was it unusual to be so young going on
0: a... Yeah, a little bit, little bit not, not so common, you know. Yeah. Then, finally, I'm in the retreat. I was very happy. For first one month, not lazy. And the panic also, okay. After one month later, lazy came back. Mm. Without my permission, you know. (laughs) So now the problem is my lazy and my panic, they too become good friends. Uh-huh. Panic become worse. So then I thought, what should I do? Should I leave the retreat? Or if I leave retreat, I feel embarrassed because I told everybody I can do this retreat. Yeah. But uh, if I continue to stay more than two years with the panic, so I thought, what should I do? You know. Then in the end, I make decision that I want to learn how to live with my panic mm. using the, my meditation training. All the meditation training has how to make friends with the panic. So for example, when I watch my breath, the breath becomes support for my meditation, right? You can watch panic also. Watch the sensation, image, voice, belief, bala, 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 yada, yada. all this becomes support for the meditation. Just like breath. So I feel quite happy. Mm. So then after a few weeks later, me and my panic become very good friends.
1: Ah.
0: When the panic comes, I'm quite happy, excited. <laughs> but the symptoms are still there, you know, the physical yeah. sensation, the mm-hmm. heartbeat, and the tightness at my neck and headaches and all the unpleasant sensation.
1: Yeah. Everything there, but I feel quite happy.
0: Now I feel like I cannot breathe.
1: <laughs> oh, so you're using it as investigation? Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah just like breath. Yeah. And feel very happy. <laughs> then me and my friend panic become very good friends. I love my panic. What I call panic is my teacher and best friend. Then what happened in the end? After that, the panic says bye-bye and gone. <laughs> <laughs> I miss my panic. <laughs>
1: Went on a, a wandering retreat for several years, and I know you had some pretty intense experiences there. Do you want to share anything about that?
0: Yeah. So this is a wandering retreat. Like first we do retreat with the uh, solitary retreat or retreat in the group with the particular environment, and then the kind of like intensive practice together. So once. We have some experience that then we do wandering retreat. So wandering retreat is more like uh, we face a lot of challenge in our life. So for me, I went to wandering retreat for and a half years. So this is a really great experience for me. I learned two things. One is uh, it really helps for my meditation. And second, I learned a lot about the life. Mm. For example, before I don't know how to cook myself. Now I know how to cook. I don't know how to make fire. I know how to make fire. And now I know where to go and where to get free food also.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, in a wandering retreat, you don't have a place where you're staying, is that right?
0: Yeah, I went to... There's no particular plan for the loads, where to stay, and no particular plan for... There's no really money. I have a few thousand rubies at the beginning, and that finished within one month, then based on begging. Wow. Yes.
1: So there's something similar, I think, between um, when you were speaking about how to deal with these difficult emotions and becoming friends with them.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, similar as same practice as a panic. So how to make panic as friend? So now you can make uh, more friends with the this challenge in the life.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think both of those approaches is kind of counterintuitive, right? To move towards Negative or difficult experiences yeah. and similarly on this kind of retreat, you know You're actively moving towards a situation where you don't have a security of a place or money yes. right. Um, right, So in both those situations, it strikes me that you need a lot of trust
0: Yeah, first to make fire you have to make it a right in the good circumstances Once the fire become bigger then you can add Wood and winds, all these are no problem. Mm-hmm. So yeah, of course, first you have to have this some kind of a core practice. Otherwise, uh, then it will not really become much. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So is that where you build the trust in order to feel safe moving towards yes difficult emotions? For example, first building in a practice without working with negative things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Step by step practice. Yes. Yeah. That's true.
1: So then the trust becomes really in yourself or in your own mind? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Not just trust. Of course, there's experience. Sure. There's a view. There's a tool. There's a, a skill that you can learn uh, step by step.
1: And that relates to awareness or just all, all forms yes. of Yes. Uh, awareness,
0: compassion, wisdom. Yeah. So three things. And that is related with our healthy sense of self and eventually the, the luminous self.
1: Can you say just a few words about awareness, compassion, and wisdom?
0: So the awareness is like we all have this wonderful nature. Uh, This is kind of like the essential quality of our mind, which is the knowing. So the knowing is kind of like what we call the traditional example is like sky, and then we have thought, emotion, perception, mm-hmm. memory, all these are like clouds. So all this thought and emotion comes and goes and comes and goes in that knowing, in that uh, awareness. Mm-hmm. So awareness like sky. sky is not the cloud, but yeah. the cloud comes in the sky. So awareness itself is beyond thought and emotion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: yet. The thought, and emotion comes within that awareness. So basically, at the beginning, how we can connect with the awareness is just knowing. So, uh, for example, right now I'm we are having this uh, broadcast. Mm -hmm. So you know that you are having this broadcast. You know that you are listening to this sound. That Mm -hmm. means you are connecting with the beginning to connect with awareness. Mm -hmm. So then there's a love and compassion, which is. looking for happiness, looking for meaning, looking for some kind of like genuine. So that is with us all the time, what we call like longing to your real home, Mm. longing to your real authentic nature. So looking for happiness is love and Mm. looking for free from suffering is compassion. So that is also together with awareness with us all the time. Then there's a wisdom. The wisdom is the knowing, the recognition of the awareness, recognition of compassion, recognition of who you are. When you connect with the awareness and compassion, then eventually you can discover your true nature, unlimited discovery within yourself.
1: Mm. Yes. Well, Rinpoche, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today.
0: You're most welcome. Thank you.
1: This episode was edited and produced by me and Phil Walker. Music on the show is from Blue Dot Sessions and Universal. Show notes and resources for this and other episodes can be found at podcast.mindandlife.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes and share it with a friend. If something in this conversation sparked insight for you, we'd love to know about it. You can send an email or voice memo to podcast at mindandlife.org. Mind and Life is a production of the Mind and Life Institute. Visit us at mindandlife.org, where you can learn more about how we bridge science and contemplative wisdom to foster insight and inspire action towards flourishing. There you can also support our work, including this podcast.